0: Morning, everyone, and thank you so much, Nigel. If if you could ask Jesus to do one thing for you or for your family at the moment, what would it be? If you could ask Jesus to do one thing for you or for your family at the moment, what would it be? Now, I'm not setting out to imply or give the impression that Jesus is some kind of genie who can be summoned to grant us our wishes. But as you read the Gospels, you find that on a pretty regular basis, people would approach Jesus and ask him to do something for them, or to do something for their family, or to do something for one of their friends. So what would you ask? What would you like Jesus to do for you today? As you think about that, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. It's page 974 in those red Pew Bibles, where we read about two men who did exactly that. They asked Jesus to do something for them. And in response, Jesus asked them a question as he often did. For anyone who is visiting or new to Windsor, we recently started a Sunday morning teaching series called Treasure the Questions, where we are looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked in Matthew's Gospel, recognizing that Jesus asks questions an awful lot to communicate with people, to kind of stimulate their interest, to get them to think, to take them on a journey of discovery. And the question that we're going to confront today is a really important one. I mean, they all are, I know that. But this morning's question is a really important one. It was for these two men, and it is for each of us. Do you believe that I am able to do this? do you? Do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? Now note, it's not, do you believe I will do this? It's, do you believe I'm able to do this? That is a subtle difference, but it's an important one. When the apostle Paul was writing to Christians in Ephesus, he said something that we often echo in our prayers and in our praying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It's not now to him who will do more. It's to him who is able to do more. So do you believe that Jesus is able to and then you fill in the blank. Or going back to the genie idea, is it more a case of, well, I I wish Jesus would do this? Or what about another perspective that says, Jesus will do more if only we had more faith. Jesus will do more if only you had enough faith? Well, as we explore these kind of questions, let's set it in context and see what else is going on here. So please, as we often do at winter, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 to 34. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Take grab a seat. Matthew chapters 8 and 9 are littered with miracles. Some of you will know this. There are actually 10 recorded miracles in the space of two chapters. 10 in a row, 10 in total. And these two that we read about are the last before a bit of a break in the gospel. If you look above these incidents, you'll notice that just prior to them, Jesus has raised a dead girl and he has healed a bleeding woman. And as he moves on from there, as it says in verse 27, it's now the men's turn again. And two blind men followed Jesus, it says, and they called out to him. And I just want to make a couple of comments This idea of these blind men following Jesus could mean either that they literally tracked him. In other words, they were walking after him, or it could mean that they were two followers of Jesus. They were two of his disciples. But either way, these two blind men call out to Jesus. And without making too much of an issue that isn't there, The Bible makes it pretty clear that when we call out to God, whether it's in distress, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in need, whether it's in trouble, whether it's in frustration, whether it's in hope, whenever we call out to God, God responds. Here's just a selection of verses to illustrate this. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me. And what does God say? I will hear you. Come to me, and I will answer you. The righteous cry out to God, and the Lord does hear. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Shall be saved. You see, whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in the lives of those around you this morning, let me encourage you to call out to God. Express your desires, your feelings, your hopes, your dreams, express your angst. Express your concern because God does listen and he does respond. It's when we shut down the lines of communication. It's when we stop talking to God that we find ourselves isolated. We find ourselves getting worried and we find ourselves left to our own devices. Whatever is going on in your life at the moment, make sure you are calling out to God. These two men call out. But what they ask for is fascinating. To start with, they don't directly or explicitly ask for healing. They don't. They don't ask for restored sight. It is what they get. So we're kind of into the territory of the immeasurably more. But what they actually ask for is mercy. And when it comes to us approaching God... And when it comes to what we ask Jesus for, their example, their wish list is spot on. Lord Jesus Christ, in another place in the Gospels, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. That's known as the Jesus prayer. I don't know how many of you use that. I remember coming across it a number of years ago. It's from the Gospels. But I remember coming across it as a daily prayer to pray on a regular basis. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a prayer, it's a line that I use every single time before I stand up to speak. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But here, have mercy on me, says these two blind men, Son of David, Here are two people, two men who accept their need of Jesus. And back at the so-called start of the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, the very first beatitude, the very first group of people that Jesus said were blessed, that Jesus taught were eligible for living the God-blessed life, The very first group of people, he said, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit are those who humbly recognize and admit their need of God. They are people who accept that without God they have no hope. So many people today, and it's been like this since the beginning of time, so many people today are convinced, I don't need God. Don't need God. I can make it on my own. I can find answers. I can find fulfillment. I can find hope in a variety of all kinds of other places. I don't need God. The poor in spirit are different. They realize that without God, they're beat. They're hopeless. They're lost. And do you know something? That is a great place to be. Why? Because God blesses that honesty and that awareness. As God helps those who can't help themselves. And as the first beatitude says, it's those kind of people. To them, is the, theirs, is the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God belongs to those who admit their dependence upon God. Not to people who don't think they need Him. And these two men in Matthew 9 are there. And so they cry out to Jesus, Have mercy on us. Give us something that we know we don't deserve. But we're going to ask for it anyway. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling at the end of your rope, if you're here this morning and you recognize that you need God, you recognize that you are poor in spirit, that you need the mercy of God. You need to receive something that you know you don't deserve. Then call out to Jesus this morning for it. Call out. Don't shut down the lines of communication. And the way that these two men address Jesus is interesting, isn't it? They refer to him as. Son of David, it's not Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on a Son of David. It's the first time Jesus has been called that title. The opening verse of Matthew chapter one reads, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, but nobody to date, nobody, had referred to Jesus like that. But here were two blind men, probably two outcasts, who somehow got it and were able to see Jesus for who he actually was, despite their physical blindness. And that's fascinating. So the question is, for all of us, how do you see Jesus this morning? Because you see, how you see Jesus will impact the way you approach Jesus. It will influence how you talk to Jesus. And what do you ask him for? Now it seems, if you read the text, that, that Jesus didn't immediately respond to the two blind men. It was only, you'll notice there, that when they went indoors that Jesus spoke to them. Some people think that might have been because they used this title, Son of David. Jesus wasn't ready for that kind of exposure and that kind of attention just yet. And so he waited until he went inside. And then comes the question. Have mercy on me, Son of David. Step inside. Do you believe I'm able to do this. And their answer's quick. And it's really simple. Yes, Lord. Again, note the recognition of who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. You see, these men's spiritual sight and insight was crystal clear. They knew who this was. So they say yes. They believed Jesus was able to do this. And so, because of their faith, according to Jesus in verse 29, because they trusted in Jesus' ability to do this, their eyes are opened, their physical sight is miraculously restored. Now, there is so much going on here. So much that requires some comments. To start with, and some of you know this, there is no recorded healing of blindness in the Old Testament. Secondly, no disciple ever gave sight to the blind in the New Testament. And thirdly, of all Jesus' healings, restoring sight was one of his most frequent miracles. So it seems, it seems, there's something bigger going on here. There's, There's something more happening. And if you still have your Bible open, flick over to Matthew chapter 11 and have a look at verse two because when John the Baptist, who's locked up in prison, hears what the Messiah was doing, John dispatches a couple of his disciples to ask this Jesus a question. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus sends word back. Look at verse four of Matthew chapter 11. Go back to John, says Jesus, and tell them what you've heard and what you've seen. And what is the first thing you've seen? The blind see. Flick back in your Bibles now to Isaiah 35. Where the prophet Isaiah is talking about the one who was going to come at some stage to save. And how does the prophet describe the one Who is going to save? What's he going to do? Verse 5 of Isaiah 35 says, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. And as these two men stare at color for the very first time, and as they look around them in wide-eyed wonder, or as they squint nervously, Their experience confirms that the Messiah has come. The one that so many people have been waiting for is here. This is a watershed moment. Not just for these two men, but for all humanity. Because this is screaming out to those who have ears to hear, the Messiah is here. The one who's going to restore sight to the blind has come. And the second thing I want to mention concerns their faith. Because unfortunately, and I came across this again during the week, there is a line of thinking or implication that that uses an incident like this and uses a verse like 29 to suggest that if only we had enough faith, if only we had more faith, then we would be healed every time or to put it in a slightly different or crass way, the reason that we are not healed, the reason that we don't see certain things happen is because we lack faith. Wow. Is there a fire? Are we all right, Wes? Some people say the reason that we don't get healed, the reason we don't see healing, the reason we don't see certain things happen that we want to see happen is because we don't have enough. And the issue here wasn't the level or amount of faith that these two men possessed. The issue here, and please hear this, the issue here was where their faith was placed. It was the location of their faith. And where was their faith placed? It was placed in Jesus. They believed that he was able to to do this. The emphasis, the focus, the trust was on Jesus. It was in Jesus. Jesus is able. Whether he did or didn't wasn't the issue. As far as these guys were concerned, Jesus could do this. And far too often people are left confused and damaged because that they feel that Jesus would heal every time or most of the time if only they had more faith. And you see, whenever you go there, whenever the, the, the focus shifts to that place, then it goes off Jesus and it becomes about me. And that's all out of sync. And it's incredibly unhelpful. And I've seen so many people damaged as a result of this. Not about me. It's not about what I can muster up. It's about do I believe that Jesus is able? Not will he. It's up to him. do you believe Jesus is able? And whether he does or doesn't, or whether he does it in the way that we want or we expect, that's not the point. The point is, the question is, do we believe Jesus is able? And if the answer to that question is, yes, Lord, then it's up to Jesus what happens next. And it's ultimately a matter of trust. And we're back to something I said last week, that faith is not believing without proof. It's trusting without reservation. It's back to this question of Do we trust Jesus with our lives? No matter what happens. And Jesus could see that these two men trusted him and therefore in true Messiah style, he changes and transforms their lives forever. Do you believe that Jesus is able? Which is a different question from do you believe that Jesus will? And Jesus is able, and when you combine his ability with his wisdom, then you can trust him with your life, with your circumstances, with your future, knowing that he knows best. He sees the bigger picture. He knows what you need at just the right time. He knows what he is doing, how he is working out his purposes in your life, how he is going to keep working to complete what he's doing in your life. And I then love what happens next. Jesus issues these explicit instructions. It's quite strong wording. It says, he warns them sternly. Don't know how you think that looks. Jesus being stern with people. He warns them sternly not to tell anyone about this, probably because, going back to something I said a moment ago, Jesus isn't ready to grab front page headlines just yet. Unwanted publicity is not what Jesus needed at this stage. That time will come. But although these two men's faith in Jesus were strong, their trust was strong, they believed he was able, their obedience to Jesus was pretty poor. Because what do they do? They go out and do the complete opposite of what Jesus sternly warned them not to do. They tell as many people as possible. Now, you could argue this was pretty unfair of Jesus. Try put yourself in these two men's shoes. How were they going to explain the fact that they can now see everything? What were they supposed to say whenever people, including their family and friends, asked them about how they got their sight back? blindness was a major problem in that culture and at that time there were no there was no known cure for blindness there were no laser eye clinics if they didn't refer to their encounter with the miracle worker how were they meant to account for their restored sight and so maybe there are times whenever total obedience to Jesus is just too big an ask maybe there are times when it's too diff- too difficult Maybe there are times when it's too unreasonable to fully obey. Back to the story. David, you need to say something more. I'm not going to say something. more. Back to the story. As Jesus and others were walking out the front door, because that's what it says happens here. They're walking out the front door of this house. A demon-possessed man who can't speak is then brought to Jesus. And, and really quickly, it just says, Jesus drives out the demon and restores his speech. If you still happen to have your Bible open at Isaiah 35, let me continue the prophecy regarding, regarding the coming Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. It's done. The ears of the deaf unste- unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer. And then the mute tongue will shout for joy. You see, this 10th miracle in the space of two chapters and probably quite a tight time frame is another powerful sign and indicator that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has arrived. The Messiah has come. King Jesus is here. That's what was going on here. People were discovering. Now, whether they were wanting to discover, whether they were willing to do anything with what they were discovering, but people were discovering that the one referred to, the one promised, was now here the blind were starting to see the mute tongue was starting to shout for joy and no wonder as the crowds look on it says in the very next verse verse 33 they were astonished the crowd was amazed and said nothing like this has ever been seen in israel but not everyone's impressed not everyone's amazed And they rarely are when it comes to Jesus. There are those who see Jesus very differently. This is no son of David. This is more like a prince of demons, according to the Pharisees in verse 34. Or it's by the prince of demons that he's able to cast out demons. You see, in terms of blindness, these are the ones who appear to have a problem seeing properly. Now, it's not that they were questioning the miracles. I mean, there were two blind men standing in front of them who could now see. There was a demon-possessed mute man who was now speaking. Couldn't, I mean, the, the, the evidence was conclusive. So what do they do? They attribute it to Satan. They say, see this Jesus, he's in league with the devil. And so with everything else that's going on inside this house, outside this house, and as I say, this is a multi-layered incident. You have these three different responses and reactions to Jesus. And I want to suggest that these still capture people's reaction to Jesus today. There are those who trust him. There are those who believe in him. There are those whose lives have been transformed by him. Many of you here, this is your story. Doesn't mean you always get it right. Doesn't mean you always obey. But you still follow after him. And you still long for his fame to be spread. Is that, is that where you are this morning? You trust in him no matter what. And then there are those who are impressed by him, who are amazed at him, but you know something, that's as far as it goes. They accept that, yes, this Jesus was a kind of miracle worker and he did impact lives, but you know something, I'm going to keep my distance from him, as though many of that crowd did. I mean, people were amazed at what Jesus did when Jesus walked this earth. But many of them wanted to see him crucified. And there are many people today who are impressed by Jesus, who like Jesus, and who respect what other people have found in Jesus and say, if it works for you, great. But it's not for me. I'm impressed by him, that's as far as it goes. And then there are those who can't have him, who are opposed to him, who reckon he is just a fraud. And so where do we sit this morning? Because you see, the one thing you can't be about Jesus is neutral. But as I finish, let me go back to that question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? Not do you believe that Jesus will do this. But do you believe that he's able? And if your answer to that question is, yes, Lord, then according to our faith in Jesus, we can leave what happens next with our lives and with our future with him and to him.